0: my privilege to uh, to share, we're kind of wrapping up the sermon series on the Holy Spirit this morning as we talk about the wind blowing in our midst. And I felt like it would be unfortunate if I didn't spend some time talking about this particular issue as we think about what the Holy Spirit does in an activity in his church. And so it's uh, something that I wanted to share with you this morning, maybe at a little bit different angle, but I'd have you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we talk about spiritual gifts 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together would you pray this prayer with me Lord this is your word to me today may it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on, amen, amen. This is the Apostle Paul, he writes, "'Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, "'I do not want you to be uninformed. "'You know that when you were pagans, "'somehow or other, you were influenced "'and led astray to mute idols. another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines just as a body though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body so it is with christ may god add his blessing to that word you can be seated In July, uh, Mary and I will have been married for 30 years. Uh, yeah, it's, we have, we have four kids, as you know. We've, we've had them now for like something like 25 years. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure I'm getting a lot out of it. If you really do the math, uh, from the beginning, the flow of resources have been pretty much one way. The reality is from the delivery process, you know, even, even at that very beginning, it was really hard. Of course, uh, Mary played a key role in that, but I was coaching and encouraging and they came. It was rather exhausting staying up all night waiting for them to arrive. So, uh, you know, but eventually they came, and after they got born, man, that's when even more work began. We invested time and tons and tons of energy and emotion, and they just took and took and took. Think about it, housing and Food and clothing and cars and insurance and cell phones and education and the list goes on and on. Well, they're slowly getting out of the house. Uh, Caleb now is married and is in an apartment with his wife, and they and they both work, and have a job. Joshua uh, leaves for South Korea at the end of this month for 20 months to teach English. Uh, he's coming in. He works all night at Amazon, shows up to church here on Sunday morning. We're grateful for that. But uh, Micah is uh, living with us now that he's graduated, but he has a job that's going to keep him on the road quite a bit. He was in Columbus this week, and now he's in Kentucky this weekend, and we headed to Palm Beach soon after that, so he's kind of on the road. Faith uh, just left for summer camp this very week week before returning to Cedarville in the fall. And each step of the way, well, you know, we got to buy them clothes. We, we buy and fix their cars. We keep them in their cell phones. The, the flow of resources is never really turned around. Uh, uh, I get a card or a present every once in a while Uh, Last week, Micah and Faith went to the Sweeties candy store down the road. You've probably been there. They got me a bottle of apple soda and some fudge, so that was kind of nice. But man, if you do the math, it it just doesn't add up, does it? I'm really coming up kind of short when I think about all of that. The financial return on that investment has been minimal, to say the least. It just has and then I think about my marriage I've been married since 1993 it's going to be again 30 years I'm not sure I'm getting the bigger piece of that pie either Um, sometimes I empty the dishwasher and I do a load of laundry for no reason at all I've been known to make dinner on my day off uh, truth is and she's never written me a thank you She's never called her mom and or my mom and told me what told her what a good husband she has i and I just wonder why bother now Of course, you're all shrewd enough to know that I'm saying that in a little bit of jest, but I'm pretty sure if I were to talk that way for a very long, one, I'd be in trouble and be divorced and all that kind of thing. But you tell me, Jeff, you are not understanding how a family works. You don't understand what is supposed to happen in the dynamics of people who love each other. Family will always frustrate you if you approach it as a consumer who is trying to get something back from it. Family is something that you give yourself to. And it's in the giving that you realize you get the gift. It's in the giving that you realize there's a gift. It, it comes when you're not looking for it. It, it. it sneaks up on you and you realize, in fact, how very good it is. The first time that you hold your, your baby son in, his ar- in your arms and you see that smile, wow, changes everything. The first time you see the joy in their eyes on Christmas morning or the thrill you get when they excel at at playing a game or a speech given at school. The fun you have when you can cheer together for Ohio State and watch them win. And then comes that moment you realize your daughter is more interested in the boy than she is interested in spending time with you. Your heart aches a little with love. Or that moment that you see your wife and you say to her, she looks as good to you as she did 30 years ago, and you wait for her to say something similar back, and she doesn't because she's too truthful and honest, and so she's not going to go there, and that's what you love about her. It's in giving that you get the gift. It's in the giving that you realize what a gift it is to be able to give and to love. And you realize you really can't out can you? Life and love and joy come back as you sow those seeds. And so one of the great questions of life is, are you giving? Are you giving your gift? Are you giving and using your gift you know it's here that the apostle paul tells us that each of the us through the power of the person of the holy spirit he has gifted you one of the things that we then have to have is is faith that he wants to use us and do something in us and as we've been discussing the person of the holy spirit we have this truth The Holy Spirit not only gives us the gift of assurance of our salvation. Paul here says, you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit working in your life. You have the gift of eternal life and it's hope. But but there's more. The Holy Spirit, when he begins to work in you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and through his resurrection, he is going to do something even greater. He gives us what the Bible calls gifts a gift at least one spiritual gift Paul doesn't want us to be unaware of this he does he says i don't I, I want you to be informed i don't want you to be uninformed and he wants to make sure that we are using these gifts to build up the family of believers the church now about the gifts of the spirit he says brothers and sisters i do not want you to be uninformed in other words This is important for you to know, not to miss. You have a great, great gift of value. And it was given to you for the church so that you might share it with them. And when you identify and you cherish and you use that gift, you're gonna flourish. You're gonna come to a new kind of life and it will benefit you and the community greatly. The manifestation of the Spirit, Paul says, is for the common good. And so let's begin. I want to just give you some outline of what it means to have these spiritual gifts. He says, do not be uninformed. Know this, number one, know that God created you to serve. God has created every person in this room not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, or or Paul said this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now think about what that means. We are created by God to do good works, not accumulate good things. few weeks ago, I used that illustration of the rope, if you were here, and you know that rope that went on and on, and that little section there of red that indicated this part of our life here on earth, and I tried to compare what the length of eternity is, and many of us, I said, have bought into the idea, while we are here, we are supposed to accumulate stuff, and have this bucket list of experiences, and, and trips, and before we kick the bucket, But I want to remind you, we have it on the authority of Jesus himself who said, whoever does my will will never taste death. Death will not be the end of your experience, but in fact, the very beginning. Pastor Tim Keller, some of you may know that name, but he died recently. He was a man, I read several of his books. I appreciated more than anything the fact that he could have been a major celebrity, but humbly just served his people and and served the community it wasn't about him and as he died of uh, cancer he i followed him on twitter and saw some of his responses and he said you know the last day of my life will be the best day of my life and he served god so very faithfully you see the real list that matters is not going to be the trips we take or the places we visit or the size of our bank account it is the service we offered, the lives we were able to touch to the glory of God. And So God made you specifically to be able to do that in a unique way by gifting you through the Holy Spirit. This is from 1 Peter 2.9. He says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special Possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we are chosen. We, every one of us in this room, is a royal priesthood. Imagine that. I, I, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word priest. In the ancient world, priests were not so much like clergymen of our day, not really, among other things, priests. Uh, there, there was no separation of church and, and state, so great leaders of the state and people of great power were also priests. You know, you look at Julius Caesar, he was not just Caesar. One of his titles was Pontifex Maximus, the most high priest. It was a title of transcendence and dignity and majesty. In Israel, as well as much of the ancient world, there was kind of a two-track system. There were the regular people track, and there was the priest track. There was a holy place where only the priests could go. There were prayers only the priest could pray. There were sacrifices that only the priest could. Could offer. There were clothes that only the priest could wear. There was forgiveness that only the priest could pronounce. But Jesus comes along and he changes everything. Jesus gave himself up on the cross and his ultimate sacrifice for our forgiveness. And what priests had always been pointing at, he did. And you'd think, well, wait a minute, then maybe we don't need priests anymore. Maybe we're done with priesthood altogether. But in fact, it's exactly the opposite. According to the New Testament, priesthood of all believers is now in Jesus' community. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus is a priest. Martin Luther, the impactful reformer, highlighted this, and this became known as the priesthood of all believers. All of us in this church are to serve in that capacity. We should see ourselves in that role. And so Peter says, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We all offer those sacrifices. Well, what are those sacrifices? The gift that we've been given is the gift we give back to God. In other words, there's no more tier, two-tier system. There's no more being divided up into the professionals and the amateurs, the priests and the non-priests. Everybody, turns out, is a minister. Nobody in the bleachers. Everybody in the game. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is in your life and the Holy Spirit has given you at least one spiritual gift that he intends for you to use in his body. And the thing is, sometimes people go to their graves and they never use their gift. And that seems like such a waste. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. God created you to serve. But Paul also tells us, know this, God gifted you, you to serve. We're told, to each person has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is God's plan. This is the beauty of the church. The church was planned by God to be led by people who have the spiritual gift of leadership. The church is planned by God to be shepherded by people who have the spiritual gift of shepherding or to be taught by people who have the gift of teaching or to be hosted by people who have that gift of hospitality and on and on and on I could go. God wants his church to be organized and operated according to spiritual gifts and for any church to fail to do this to defy the Holy Spirit and, and, and to rebel against the authority of Scripture. Scripture. And so for a long time in the church, this is what people did. This is how the church was operating. And, and, and they'd never seen anything like it. it. It turned the world upside down. That's why the church was growing. They were so excited they couldn't believe it that everybody is included, free, slave, rich, rich, male female you mean I have a role to play I have a gift to bring I have a passion I can fulfill for God's glory wow and they said I want to be a part of that and God used it and he changed the world in just a short time everybody was a priest but here's what happens over the time the church will sometimes kind of slip back into that two-tier system kind of get into this mode of uh, over the centuries it kind of ebbs and flows a bit sometimes churches think that when they hire a pastor well he's to do the ministry right his job is to study the bible and preach a good sermon visit the shut-ins pray for the sick lead the the board, arrange the service, shepherd the flock, print the bulletin, recruit the volunteers, marry, bury, comfort, console, and counsel, master theology, exegesis, homiletics, leadership, finances, administration, worship art, uh, nursery recruitments, that's got to be there too. I've literally seen job descriptions of pastors that Jesus himself could not do. but that's sometimes been the case and of course in that kind of a church what is everybody else doing well they'd watch the minister do ministry and they give a thumbs up if it's going well and they give a thumbs down if it's not and if they get upset enough they go somewhere else or they give their money somewhere else where the minister's doing better Listen, that is not God's plan for his church. Everybody who follows Jesus is called to contribute because you've been given a spiritual gift. And I'm talking to you. And the best way that you find out what your spiritual gift is is you jump in and you start serving and just see how God effectively uses you. And by the way, it might be kind of trial and error. You might find out, well, that's just not for me. It just doesn't work out. No loss, move on, try something else. And by the way, I think there are seasons where we have a spiritual gift maybe for a season and then then maybe the gift shifts. That's okay too. But don't be uninformed, Paul says. God, God created you to serve. God has gifted you to serve. Do not be informed, so know this, God changes you when you serve. Paul would write to the church at Philippi, uh, and they had a lot to learn about this. As you read that beautiful book, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Paul says. Philippi was a Roman colony A lot of the folks were citizens of Rome. They gloried in that. They valued that. It was a place where status was a really big deal. Power was a really big deal. Sometimes in the church today, we got to be careful, friends. We're guilty of trading the power of the gospel for the gospel of power. We want to be top dog we want to be in power and influence. And yet the true gospel changes that perspective. Paul says to them, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And by the way, you know, think about it. Humility is just one of those interesting qualities of the spirit, one of those virtues that you can't, you can't get better at just by willpower. Today I'm going to be humble. Look at me, I'm being humble. It just doesn't work out that way, does it? The only way I know that humility becomes a part of you is for you to surrender and give up your way. It's servanthood. <laughs> I love this story. I heard the story of a woman named Indra Nuyi, who was born in a setting where uh, they tended to discourage women uh, from realizing their potential so every night at dinner her mom had indra and her younger sister write a speech could you imagine this she said i want you to write a speech and i want you to write it as if you were running for a particular world office world leader office president or prime minister or something like that and then the mother would listen to the speech and she would vote that night who gave the better speech and who she was voting for And then they would sign a paper and say well for this day this daughter is the world leader of this you know that kind of a thing just to build her up and build their confidence and Indra went through this and she wanted to do great things well one day she was voted to become president of pepsico she retired a a few years back and she told this story she said on the day that i was voted to run pepsi as it happened her mom had come from india that day and she was home And, and and so when indra came in she said mom i have some great news and her mom's response was your news can wait the house is out of milk please go get some Indra said, why don't you ask Raj, her husband, to do that? And her mom said, I'm not his mother, I'm yours, plus he looks tired. So Indra went out, and she got the milk, but boy, she came home fuming. Well, I hope you're happy, Mom. My news is I was named president of Pepsi today. That's what I was going to tell you, but oh, no, you needed me to go get you some milk. Well, you'd think, it's so interesting, her mom, who had instilled in her this this willingness and desire to do great things, her mom said to her, listen, when you come home, you are a mother and a wife and a daughter, just like your husband is a father and a husband and a son. No one else here can take your place. And when you come home, leave your crown in the garage. Now, I love that. I think we all need to hear that. When you come home, leave the crown in the garage. Maybe I should reshape that for us. When you come to church, leave your crown in the trunk. Paul says to the church at Philippi, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to that. He wasn't going to use that status at all. But he humbled himself. He left his crown in the garage and he became a servant. He got the milk and he died on the cross. And he says, follow me. you see when you begin to serve god changes you and you begin to look at things differently and maybe the 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 latter perspective that you have changes somewhat qualities like love and humility and grace and compassion and other centeredness just kind of grows in you that's the work of the holy spirit So God has made you to serve. God has gifted you to serve. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes you when you serve. I don't want you to be uninformed. He uses you when you serve. Paul says here that the church is the actual body, the actual presence of Christ on the earth. Can you imagine that? Us together together we become the physical presence of Jesus in this community. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, one of the things that means is we all need each other. Paul says we work as a unit, as a body. Paul goes on to talk about how deep those implications are. If one part of the body suffers then all parts are suffering you never hear someone say you know I have a terrible headache but my back is great that's not the way it works is it if your if your foot isn't working but your ears are great you're still not going anywhere It's kind of fun to think about however you know what part of the body am i you know you might be the mouth or the ears maybe you're really good at listening or you're the spine you have courage or you're the heart or the hands or the feet on the body of jesus i will tell you what you're not what do we call an organism that lives off of the body that just takes that nourishment from the body but does not contribute back to the body. It's a parasite. Nobody wants to be or should be a parasite. So can I ask you, what are you doing in the body? So the Holy Spirit... has created you to serve. He's made you to serve. He's gifted you to serve. He's changing you to serve. He's using you when you serve. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. I want you to know God will reward you when you serve. Anyone ever get tired? I do. Paul wants you to hear this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You you probably never do this, but sometimes I'll do an act of service and I get worried because nobody saw it. You know, I emptied the dishwasher. We weren't even out of dishes yet. Listen, and Mary will tell you that. I'm one who just needs a lot of, you know, pats on the back. But there is nothing that God does not see. There is no service you offer to God that he does not prize. There is no love you give that doesn't get built into the person you're becoming and the world that God is redeeming. Nothing good is ever lost. The world may not see it, But a seed has been sown, a harvest is coming. And so, in our church, nobody should just be in the bleachers. Everybody on the field. Go get the milk, leave your crown in the garage. Jesus told us what his plan was for his family a long time ago. He said, If you would be great, be a servant my message to you this morning is, let's be great. Let's be great. Let's be a great church who serves a great God. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would speak to each of us where we are, And that, Lord, you would just open our eyes to see that gift that you have given us, and we would be eager and ready to use that gift. May we, Lord, do good, especially for the family of believers. Lord, if we're struggling finding where that piece is, where that part is, I just pray that you would raise up within us, Lord, a, a desire to ask the right questions. Engage leaders in the church ask the questions to elders and pastors and and others who who uh, are engaged in ministry lord that we could step up and rise up and know that lord we are being used for the benefit of your kingdom and lord help us to see that it's not always about the immediate return but that when we do good you see it all and you will honor it And Lord, that that service does something in us, but it also does something through us. Suddenly we see your kingdom come, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. May the body of Christ be the person of Jesus, together toward one another, in our compassion and patience, in our serving one another, but also to the world who wants to see a community. needs to see a community like no other in the world. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord.